Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nikki, and as always, I'm joined by the man who this week has been desperately searching for a second-hand cheeseburger van. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Very well. I look, I look forward to the little preamble at the end of your introduction just to see how, how you're going to connect me to the, the week's um, subject matter. I'm, I'm never sure whether I actually keep going with it, but now I feel that I'm going to have to. I think previously yeah. I did it with the, the previous episode, but now it's maybe just lazy that I'm linking it into the current episode, but Hey, I, I'm going to keep going with it, I think. Uh, Cheeseburger yeah. van was the best. I was going to mention that you just have uh, in receipt of a, a new flat cap and a snazzy leather jacket, but <laughs> I went for the cheeseburger van yeah. instead. You could have said uh, that I've just finished building my extension or something like that. Oh, oh, that would have been a good one, actually. Yeah, I wish I should have went for that. Oh, damn it. Totally forgot about that. Never mind, never mind. Everything good with you? Yes, everything is good. Uh, going through the... Which I'm sure if any of our listeners have school-age children um, are going through the same, and that is trying to find things to do in the summer holidays to keep them entertained every day so they're not just like playing on their iPads or their Switches or whatever, so... I was about to say, you not just stick them in front of the TV. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a different time, you know what I mean? <laughs> Why don't you get onto YouTube and see if there's any old episodes of Why Don't You, and then you can do some of the things that were on Why Don't You. That's a good idea. I mean, it's funny you should mention that, because obviously you and I were talking um, about classic Scottish TV adverts after we recorded the filth episodes and they were sponsored by uh, our old, our very very old friends at, was it Allied Carpets near, or was it Sterling? Near, it was Sterling. It, Sterling, yeah. Sterling. At, Sterling. At Tilly Coutry, near Sterling. Near Sterling, yeah, in uh, Dougie Donnelly. So I was having a wee look uh, and my youngest daughter Renee came in and we ended up watching about 20 minutes of old, sort of not just Scottish TV adverts but British te- TV adverts and she thought, hmm. some of them were, she thought some of them were quite funny Particularly the Lurpak man, like rowing on the slice of toast across the breakfast table. Oh, did he not have a name? He might have done. There's a really, I guess, in hindsight, inappropriate advert with the Home Pride Flower guys. Remember, they were like the wee white guys with the black bowler hats and stuff. And yes. they were talking about some new Asian range of food. <laughs> And they had this little Japanese stereotype um, home pride man, which even my 10-year-old daughter was like, oh, <laughs> you know. But oh, dear. Well, what I'm trying to get to is after we'd done that for 15, 20 minutes, she said, well, what programs did you watch on television when you were like, my age, Dad? So I had a wee skip through and we found, do you remember Trapdoor? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course Trevor. Yeah. So we ended up watching um, three or four episodes of Trapdoor, which I was kind of looking at her watching it. It's still kind of good, you know, like the jokes are they're kind of like slapstick and a bit funny and everything. And, and she was mm. just kind of a bit perplexed and bemused by it all. But she was sort of in, she was sort of into it a wee bit, you know. Then my oldest daughter came down and was like, oh, can you turn it off? We watch this for this is rubbish. Turn it off because she's like 13 and too cool for all that shit now, you know. You're never too cool for Trapdoor. <sighs> It'll come back to her when she's older, I'm sure. Mm. Um, but she's going through that phase where the only things that are good are things that she likes and everything that everybody else likes is just shite (laughs) she was quite quite, we were watching America's Got Talent the other night and she was quite critical (laughs) of a lot of the acts not easily impressed these days. Well, yeah, I mean, they've just cancelled X Factor, but maybe there's a, a niche for a new talent competition in a few years' time. If they revive it, then yeah. your daughter would be ideal to be a judge. She could be the next Simon Cowell. Exactly. So, lots of like young people craving her approval. What have you been up to um, since we spoke last? Absolutely fuck all. <laughs> <laughs> 
I really need to think of something exciting to say for this uh, this uh, this point. I usually just hand over to you, but um, I can't actually think of anything that well, exciting that I've been up to. I can think of something. The SPL started again this weekend. Well, it has, but I, I didn't want to date uh, the the podcast too much in <laughs> terms of that. I mean, like two weeks. Oh, it's fair enough. We do record two weeks in advance, I would say. So yeah, uh, currently we're recording and yeah, the SPL has started again. Um, I, I've timed this slightly incorrectly and I'm recording whilst it's the first Aberdeen game of the season. So I, I did watch the first few minutes and now I've just got the BBC up. So if you, if I get slightly distracted at any point, you'll know why. We can update that Aberdeen are currently uh, a goal ahead with 41 minutes played of the first half. Yeah, so the game will be over by the time we finish recording so you might hear me get a little bit sadder as the podcast goes on let's see we'll need to get to what we're actually talking about today and then it might lift my spirits if i start reciting some of the lines that we have to speak about sadder or or angrier <laughs> that's the life of being an aberdeen fan you know been at all my life so i'm used to it by now i wouldn't change my team unlike some people um, yeah, yeah. No, not yourself greg obviously no i know uh, Okay, right. Shall we have a look at the news? Why don't we? Cue the jingle. Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, have you seen anything this last week in Scotland that has caught your eye in the news? Uh, I have. The first one that I've got, it just was in the news, uh, let me see, the day of the record, yesterday. No, the 31st of July, yeah, so Sunday yesterday. Um, the headline is, VAT scam student caught importing 40,000 cigarettes into Scotland in suitcases. Uh, the 27-year-old from London admitted his guilt over the £8,000 fraud at Paisley Shed of Court. So if you ever wondered how much 40,000 cigarettes, I, I, I don't know if they mean that's how much he could have made or that's how much VAT that he was scamming the VAT man from. I'm not sure. Uh, okay. But I will continue. Uh, a student was busted bringing more than 40,000 duty-free cigarettes into Scotland despite the limit being just 200 smokes. Mosud Adamola Kasim, uh, 27 years old, was found to have the Benson and Hedges Hall in three suitcases when he, ar- when he arrived at Glasgow Airport. The consignment, well, this is, this is where the eight grand comes from. The consignment was worth £8,000 in excise duty to the HMRC. The dad of two flew from, he flew from Nigeria via Ethiopia to London Heathrow, but border officers stopped him when he landed north of the border. Kasim, uh, who's studying for a degree in hospitality management, had around 14,000 cigarettes in one suitcase, around 15,000 in another, and approximately 13,000 in a third suitcase. I sense about of conjecture here on the, on the on the part of the reporter who wrote this story. The officers asked Kasim, who incidentally works for a plumbing and joinery company, if he knew about customs allowances and when he said no, they told him it was only 200 cigarettes. He told officers that he didn't have anything in his luggage, but they took him into a room to check his suitcases. When they asked if he had anything to declare, he said, there might be cigarettes. <laughs> 
before officers found three different stashes among his bags. Kasim, who lives in Hackney in London, pled guilty to a charge under Section 1702 of the Customs and Excise Management Act 1979. The charge stated that he was knowingly concerned in the fraudulent evasion of duty chargeable on the cigarettes. He pleaded guilty to the charge after the value of the duty was reduced to £8,000 from £16,000. Sheriff Bruce Eroch continued Cassim's bail and said, I need to call for a background report. Um, so his sentence has been deferred until later this year. I mean, I don't know about you, I have gone over the 200 limit cigarette thing a few times on my return home on breaks uh, from uh, the Middle East. Not to the tune of 40,000, but, you know, I have been known to stick a sleeve in each of my daughter's bags as well as, um, as well as like mine and my wife's because you can sell if you, even if you sell them for a five or a packet you're you're well ahead you know what I mean with Middle East prices <laughs> I thought you were going to say you know because I'm taking them back for family members or friends but you're openly admitting that you're selling them well sort of I mean I sell them to family and friends I, and usually I take an order like my brother-in-law is a he's still a keen smoker um, and a few other people my dad sometimes takes some to his work and vlogs them for me but I mean like 200 cigarettes in Q8 would cost about 15 quid and if you sell them for a five or a packet you're well ahead you know what I mean and it's like and if you're a smoker in the UK that's a great bargain because how much is 25 down in the UK about 12 quid something like that I don't know I think they must be yeah I think they must are. be about that 12 quid I have to admire the audacity of this gentleman and I guess he must have been in a bit of a panic when they're asking him do you have anything to declare and he said oh, there might be some cigarettes when he's got enough to stock a local branch of RS McCall's in a suitcase and I guess it's the panic of well do you just admit it they're going to find it anyway yeah. and why lie but I guess he maybe just didn't want to admit that he was trying to commit fraud well yeah, that. yeah. have you ever been stopped by customs on yeah, any of your trips? Not in the UK. I have been stopped because Kuwait, as I may have mentioned on the podcast before when I lived there, Kuwait is a dry country, so alcohol is not allowed. And if you have anything sort of bottle-shaped, you have to get you get, you get your luggage scanned. Like you do in Dubai, you get your luggage scanned when you arrive in the country as well. I when I've had I've when I've had sort of bodily shapes in my bag I have been stopped and I've had you know and they, luckily they haven't been alcohol they've been like maybe toiletries or stuff like that but what I used to do when I lived in Kuwait was I bought uh, this thing called a, a camel pack you know the thing that that runners use the sort of water bladder yeah. thing so what I used to do is I would go to Bahrain and in Bahrain airport you can buy a couple of some booze at the duty free when you arrive and it's quite well priced so I would buy a couple of litres of vodka when I got to my room I would decant the vodka into the bladder, into the camel pack, nick a towel from the hotel, wrap the camel pack in my towel and put it in my hand luggage. And like every time I went through, I would lose like a few years off my life in fucking anxiety because every time I did it, I was convinced that I was going to get caught. But I never did. And let me tell you something, a man who has five or six litres of vodka in Q8 is a very rich man indeed. <laughs> and on the next episode of The Swally, we'll be discussing how to smuggle soft into the Europe. <laughs> <laughs> Just giving all these tips. Yeah, yeah.
how to get unpasteurized cheese into the US <laughs> next time. I've, I've only been stopped at customs once and it was in Dubai and I was on a trip back from the UK and I, I don't know why I wasn't thinking. I didn't have anything in my suitcase. You know, I'm obviously I wasn't smuggling booze back because booze is plentiful there. Yeah, yeah. wasn't smuggling cigarettes or anything. I definitely wasn't smuggling any drugs or anything like that. But I completely forgot that I think I'd left from Aberdeen and I was changing probably in Amsterdam or Paris at the time. And in Aberdeen Airport, I had bought a copy of Viz and <laughs> a, I know Viz was fine, yeah. but I bought a copy of Nuts magazine or Zoo magazine, <laughs> right. if you remember that. I do. And I'd read it in departures and I must have stuck it in my rucksack, totally forgotten about it. And when they were pulling it out of my bag in Dubai Customs, the guy's eyes lit up and it just so <laughs> happened that the headline on that issue was Britain's Biggest Boobs Special. <laughs> and he carefully perused every page of that magazine <laughs> looking at the biggest boobs in britain and, and just shook his head and said you can't take this in i said it's okay you keep it it's fine <laughs> i totally forgot i'm sorry and he just smiled and nodded and put it down the side of his chair uh so yeah that was the that was the only time i've been stopped by customs and i did have what would be classified technically as pornography there yeah so yeah. um yeah never again and I don't think I ever bought Nuts magazine ever again. Went bust soon after. Probably that's why. I, and that wasn't a pun on it going bust. Sorry. <laughs> it's funny. I remember picking up a... You're familiar with Joe Wicks, the... Was it? Is it like Fit and 15 or something yeah. like that? He's got... Lean and 15. We have all of his books. <laughs> Lean and 15. So you know how at the they're back... All, they're all useless to us now that we're veggie. We only use the veggie one now. <laughs> you know how at the back of his books he has little testimonials by people who... And they've got like a kind of before and after pictures. People who have followed mm. his program. And, and you know, they are in a pair of shorts if it's a guy it's like a pair of shorts maybe boxer shorts a, a woman's usually like sort of bra and shorts or maybe like a sports bra and shorts and they got all poured his books into Kuwait and I was flicking through one at the back like somebody had coloured in with black mm-hmm. marker the bodies of all the people that were all, in, including the guys all the people who were sort of saying how Joe's programme had worked for them see that's the job you want if you're working in the QA or the Middle Eastern kind of censorship <laughs> office you want the job of drawing the black bra on <laughs> yeah. to the slightly naked woman <laughs> I know I wonder if any of them ever just for a laugh just draw like a wee tash on there or something <laughs> you know a wee cock doodle <laughs> <laughs> a few perils of spunk coming off the end. Just the, in the odd call, in the odd one. <laughs> just to just just to break up the monotony, you know. <laughs> ah, anyway, that was old. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Kasim, what's your first story this week? Well, Greg, I have got just the thing for your garden. Because right. I know you've got quite a big garden and I've found the perfect thing for it that's going to set you apart and show your pride of Scotland in Okay, there. okay. Um, an artist who has spent 10 months knitting a 10-foot unicorn now fears <laughs> she'll have to bin it. Uh, Jilly Henderson, 55, admits she can't take her woolly-horned creation known as... Now, I can't pronounce... How do I pronounce this? A brinka? Okay. How would that make sense? Yeah, let's go with a Brinka. Uh, she can't take a Brinka with her when she moves house. And there's a photo of Jilly looking quite happy, actually, next to a Brinka. And it is indeed a 10-foot woolly unicorn. Um, she's even considered a ceremonial burning of the model if no one adopts it. Sounds very ma- Wicker Man-esque. Uh, uh, we covered that on the Swally, available wherever you get your podcasts. But now Jilly, of our broth 
is giving the sparkly structure away for free after she and pals grafted 8 hour days to make it. She said of the unicorn, it's our national animal, but no one seems to want a brinca. She is beautiful, so it would just be heartbreaking if we had to strip and dismantle her. Now, she's saying that, but she's considered fucking burning her. There's no chance anyone would have the time to spend rebuilding her, so we just end up chucking her in the bin. We even thought about setting her on fire as part of a big ceremony, but I couldn't do that. So Jilly had helped creating this colourful creature from uh, the Woolly Workers Group, who knit special art installations. I, try saying that after a couple of beers. The Woolly <laughs> Workers Group. Thankfully, I'm stone cold sober today. Um, its willow frame, covered in glittery yarn, has become a tourist attraction. There's fucking not a lot to do in our broth, is there? Go and get some smokies and then go and see this Woolly Workers creation of Brinka. But it's up for grabs after a bid to auction it off collapsed. Uh, Jilly said she She's very popular with people on staycations. I think she could become a big selling point and help to put our broth on the map. Oh, Jesus, the Smokies have got some competition now. <laughs> I, um, I think there's a big business opportunity there. Jilly said she'd love a Brinka to stay local, but will consider any good home, which is why I'm recommending her to you, Greg. Um, she's in talks with everyone, but All right. no one so far wants her. So if you think you could e- uh, rehome a Brinka, then you can email. I'm not going to give out her email address. I mean, it's in the Scottish Sun this week, but I won't <laughs> give it out. I'm sure she has been inundated with emails about her woolly unicorn um because she has put her personal email address and emails about how to join the woolly workers so greg what would you do with a 10 foot woolen unicorn now before i think it was either just before or just after we started recording and obviously you were keeping half an eye on the on the game and you were going a brinka a brinka and i thought is that, like a, is that somebody aberdeen's just signs that i didn't hear about or something i didn't realize that you were practicing saying the unicorns oh because when i first read the article i kind of skimmed it i saw that the name and i was like how do you pronounce that i need to remember and practice that before recording and then i kind of forgot so as i was scanning i was like oh fuck is it a brinka oh fuck it i'll just wing it and say a brinka uh yeah so a brinka 10 foot unicorn i hope she's found a good home i'm gonna have to uh, check on this and see if we need to do a follow-up and find out where a brinka's gone i mean i guess there's there are some detractors that uh, sort of outdoor installation that's made of wool because they, they obviously the climate in Scotland isn't going to be very kind to it, especially when it rains. You know what I mean? It's going to get smaller and smaller as it shrinks. Yeah, I was going to say, if you get a <laughs> tropical storm day, you know, some summer days it rains and then it's hot sun. Yeah, it'll shrink. Yeah, so and 10 foot, I think she needs to check the measurements of a brinka that she's still 10 feet. And if I had it in my garden here in Dubai, it would just be full of ants in like a minute. Yeah, and just get and dust direct. And, and ants yeah. and sand. So, yeah, I don't think she's really thought it through. Maybe she needs to find like a like a sort of primary school with a massive high ceiling gym or something that you can give. Maybe she just donates it to them or something like that. That's our a brilliant both. idea, actually. Yeah. yeah, and our both school would love something like that—a big ten-foot unicorn that kids can clamber over, and yeah. it's glittery as well. So yeah, their parents will be fucking delighted when they get home <laughs> and they're covered in glitter, won't they? I have to laugh, right? And you sort of touched on it. So she wants to put our both on the map. So yeah. you men- you mentioned our Arbroath Smoky, which is. Arbroath's very famous contribution to the Scottish culinary scene. But then you've also got the fucking declaration of Arbroath, which is one of the most 
important Scottish historical events. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I think our both well and truly on the map already. <laughs> I don't think it needs a 10-foot with a uniform uh, unicorn to put it on the map. Uh, yeah, I would say that's very true, actually. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I almost feel ashamed that my first thought is to go with the Smoky. No, the Smoky is a thing that springs to mind when you think about Arbroath, first of all. Definitely. Do, yeah. do, have, you, have you had the Arbroath Smoky? Um, yeah, I believe, yeah, I have. Yeah, many, yeah. many years ago. But yeah, yeah it's lovely. Lovely, yeah. Very nice. Yeah, really good. And you said that she's put her personal email address in the Scottish Sun. Yeah, she has. Yeah, yeah, she's put that out there for everyone to to get in touch with her, and if they want to join send, the Woolly Wanderers, send pictures of their own sort of unicorn horns to her. I'm sure she'll be happy. That's that's disgusting. <laughs> uh, moving on. Uh, there's there's no need for that on this valley. We don't condone that. Please, we didn't read out your email address, so exactly. We can't so you can't believe anything. You can't blame it on any of our listeners, no. uh, unless they go to the Scottish Sun and find your email address. <laughs> <laughs> just, I, I mean, if you just go to Google and search for our both ten foot unicorn, yeah, I, I gave out our full name actually. So yeah, I'm not bleeping that out. Um, okay, Greg, what, what's your second story this week? Or, or yeah, on the swelling. Well, uh, my second story uh, also concerns uh, a sort of art installation garden erection. It comes from the Scottish Sun, although it wasn't only in the Scottish Sun, this story. The headline is Games Up, Glasgow Commonwealth Games mascot found in football thugs garden after being missing (laughs) for seven years as cops swoop. Comes from the 24th, it comes from the Scottish Sun on the 24th of July. I'm not sure the cops are exactly swooping seven years after it's gone missing. So cops swooped on a, a notorious football louts back garden. It's been demoted from fog to lout from the back, from the headline to the byline and seized a stolen Glasgow Commonwealth Games mascot that's been missing for seven years. Officers bundled the five-foot thistle known as Clyde into a van at the home of police horse punch job Kevin Maguire, 38, in Drumchapel, Glasgow. The sun on Sunday tipped off the police that the missing Clyde, swiped from a plinth near Ibrox in Glasgow in 2014, was in footy thug Maguire's garden. Officers swooped on his pad after we alerted them to photos on Twitter which which showed the missing model in the background. They seized the fiberglass statue, one of 25 commissioned when Glasgow hosted the sports tournament in 2014, and took it to a nearby police station. It was later driven to the council city chambers where Lord Provost Philip Bratt gave it the once-over before returning it to the cop shop they held as evidence. That's a bit weird, isn't it? Was it to check if it was genuine, maybe? Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe. Councillor Bratt said... After the bizarre raid on the Celtic fans' pad, the theft was an affront to the people of Glasgow. Celtic fan Maguire, who was hit with a footy ban and did jail time for punching police horses more than one, Jesus. for fuck's sake, denied knowledge of the mascot. When he was asked how it ended up in his garden, he grabbed a mop in a fury and tried to whack a reporter with it. The thug raged. It's nonsense. I don't know anything about it. Nothing. It's a surprise. Cops raided Maguire's garden in the city's drum chapel on Friday afternoon. They spoke with local residents before loading Clyde into their van. We had flagged the figure's location to authorities after being made aware of the snaps on the Twitter profile of Govan Emerald Celtic Supporters Club last week. Photos showed Maguire drinking a beer in the sun and two people in a pool, in a pool, must be like a paddling pool, beside the statue which has the distinctive motif of the Finiston crane on its t-shirt. Sharing the images with his followers, he wrote, I am a greedy cunt. 
alongside smiley faces. We then traced Maguire to a housing estate where Clyde's green skin and purple hair were visible through a garden fence before notifying the police. An appeal for info had been launched when the figure, which was designed by schoolgirls Beth Gilmore and Saskia Alexander, first vanished. The remaining 24 across the city were then removed by officers over fears that they might also be stolen following attacks by vandals. But many were earmarked for display at public buildings including a replacement for the stolen Clyde. The mascots had been a massive hit with the game's visitors and athletes such as Jamaican sprint champion Usain Bolt. It's understood no one has been arrested or charged in connection with the sculpture find but police inquiries are still ongoing. So he's been chilling out in this guy's garden for seven, seven years. years. Yeah. Now surely his neighbours must have seen it and I mean, I guess snitches get stitches, but you would think someone would have dobbed him in and claimed a reward or something. But it's basically his audacity of putting a bragging picture on Instagram (laughs) that someone has spotted this. I'm a greedy cunt with my backyard pool and my uh, Commonwealth (laughs) Games mascot. He he got a five-year football stadium ban from every stadium in the UK and a 10-month jail sentence in February last year for thumping three police horses outside Parkhead. That's incredible. I mean, it's not incredible, but you know what I mean? to be able to, to punch three horses. You get, they, they let them go in May 2020 because they were trying to halt the spread of COVID in prisons. Surely keeping them all in. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? It's surely yeah. they should be trying to halt the spread of COVID in the free world as opposed to behind, as opposed to in prisons. Um, yeah. Well, I'd imagine he's probably going to end up back in, won't he? Because that'll be um, a breach of probation and stuff. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Is there a sort of, if, it, if he stole it, seven years ago and he's just been caught now can he still get in trouble for it he could just deny it's there I don't know of course he can yeah of course he can I mean he could say he found it there I mean if he does get off and he is missing if there's like a space where that statue used to sit in his garden and the grass has gone a bit brown you know the the way that happens yeah yeah if he's looking for something to cover it I know someone that's trying to get rid of a 10 foot unicorn (laughs) yeah absolutely And, and that would look good and he could that would look good next to the pad pool mm-hmm. and he could be a greedy cunt and pretend he's, he's riding uniform. yeah riding the unicorn but like my pretend, pony pretend he's anchor man in that gene sequence isn't he? <laughs> i mean i like the idea of, well instead of punching a police horse he's got a woolly unicorn that he can punch all he likes uh now i i wonder if uh, as part of the punishment he's maybe not allowed within a distance of horses um <laughs> but i mean technically a unicorn's fine isn't it it's a fictional animal so, yeah, so i know <laughs> you i mean i'd argue that i like the idea of them taking of like I'm getting arrested taken to the nearest police station at Drum Chapel and saying right listen we can't prove that you stole this I don't think you're going to walk away right and they take him into the stables and there's like 10 massive police horses going right you cunt <laughs> the police <laughs> horses just set about him and knock fuck out this is for Dobbin this is for PC Dobbin yeah hold that you cunt <laughs> uh, well before I delve into my second news story quick update it's 2-0 Aberdeen your beauty Ramirez uh, yeah Ramirez yeah mm. fantastic um, okay, so my second news story of this week comes from the Scottish Sun as well. And you know, in Scotland, we're we're a very welcoming nation. We love to welcome tourists, and especially you know, even tourists from south of the border as well. And sometimes we like having the tourists so much that we want to keep them. So <laughs> this was, uh, as I say, from the Scottish Sun this week. And tourists' cries for help spark nine 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 call out answer after council staff lock him in Ayrshire public toilets 
for hours. Um, a tourist sparked a 999 call out after he was locked for hours inside a public toilet. Police and fire crews were alerted after the Englishman's cries for help were heard in the street. Rescuers were set to smash the loose doors in with an axe before a council worker arrived with the keys in Largs, Ayrshire. Uh, <laughs> local councillor Ian Murdoch demanded a probe as it emerged staff have made similar blunders in the past <laughs> the member said uh, we can't uh, have people coming to logs and getting locked inside public toilets <laughs> thankfully the chap was okay but he was in there for a considerable time i know of at least one other occasion where a lady got locked inside the toilet block cops confirmed they were called out at 8 25 p.m on Friday and fire teams also attended an hour later. This council uh, worker believed the toilets were empty so locked the door. We're very sorry for any stress or discomfort the man suffered. It said he was in there for hours so I want to know. Now 8.25pm they were called out. Council worker, public toilets, it's next to a cafe. I've got to reckon he's been locked in there since about 6pm. Maybe 5.30pm because it's a Friday. The council worker's wanting to go home. So he's he's been locked in there for a good... Yeah, yeah. So he's been locked in there for... And the police were called out at 8.25. Didn't say what time they arrived. And it's a Friday night, you know. Uh, fire teams attend an hour later. This poor lad could have been in there for about five, six hours. And it's not the first time it's happened. That's the thing. <laughs> this sounds like it's a regular occurrence. So if you're going to spend a penny in Largs Ayrshire, you're best to go to a pub or something and do it there rather than go to a public toilet because you could end up being locked in there for quite some time. I thought it was going to be, when you started telling that story, I thought, did you remember? I don't know if, I, yeah, they do, they do have them in, they do, well, they did have them in Aberdeen. If you remember about halfway down George Street, they used to get, and they might still be there, these sort of futuristic <laughs> toilets that you put like sort of 10 pence in or something and the door slid, you know what I mean? And they played a bit of music and everything. And do you remember, you know, it's sort of space age for the 1980s sort of toilet. The, there was an evening, Greg, that you'd been, I, I believe you, myself, um, our mutual friend, who we often refer to on the podcast, yeah, and another mutual friend who we will call Prince Charming, <laughs> we had quite a wild night out, I believe, and we yeah. all ended up back at our mutual friend's flat, which was also and which was also my flat at the time. We were sharing. It was I? it was indeed yes. Yeah. We went back to there and we stayed up quite a while, and <laughs> you and the mutual friend went to bed, not together, in your separate rooms, yeah. and myself and Prince Charming were left up and yeah. we were very awake at the time <laughs> and it was approaching about six o'clock and we decided let's go to the schooner for a couple of pints <laughs> so we made our way down george street and we stopped at that toilet and i think we were there for about half an hour because we kept going in and pressing the button and as the doors opened take it in turns to go ah hello commander Riker," or <laughs> Hello, Captain Picard. <laughs> and I'll tell you, at half six in the morning, after you've been up for nearly 24 hours, and a lot of alcohol and maybe other things had been consumed, yeah. this was the funniest, funniest thing in the world. I remember. And then we I went off to the schooner for a couple of pints. Yeah, those toilets were great. I remember that night, and see, to be honest, I probably should have come to the schooner for a couple of pints because I ended up not going to sleep, so I uh, tossing and turning in bed and then phoning in sick to work. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to start until 12 o'clock and I phoned up at 8 o'clock in the morning and said, I'm not well, I'm not coming in. <laughs> at least you gave them plenty of warning to get some cover for you. So well, absolutely. I think you did the right thing there. 
I wasn't as responsible in those days as I, as I am now. <laughs> uh, well, I think that covers the news uh, this week. It does. Yep, it does. It's it, a good news it week. Does. A bit of a change from our usual been, yeah. pandemic apocalypse that we've been uh, having to sift through to try and find a little perils over the last year and a half. Well, uh, before we go into uh, our review and what we're going to be talking about this week, let's have a little word from our sponsors. <laughs> to Inverness, getting there this way's best city linking. North to south, east to west, get on the coach, you'll be impressed, city linking. City linking, smart thinking. Okay, Greg, well, so it was your choice this week, and what a belter you've picked for us. Why don't you introduce what we're going to be talking about today? Okay, well, I sort of teed it up in the last episode by relating it, if you like, to the upcoming third season of Succession, which is scheduled to be out, uh, I think, around October time. Obviously starring one of our favourite actors, perhaps our, maybe our favourite Scottish actor, Brian Cox. So we've not had a lot of Brian. Not, we've had little little tasters of Brian over the last few episodes. I've had a little smattering of him in Braveheart, a little taster of him in um, A Shot at Glory. But I thought it was time Mm. we had a Brian Cox starring vehicle. So I chose the BBC sitcom created by Neil Forsyth, uh, shown in 2013 in BBC4. Bob Servant, Independent, but also the sort of seconds series, which is only three episodes, which was just called Bob Seven. Mm. Let me give you the synopsis. Uh, the, the show is set in Broughty Ferry, which is a, a very nice suburb of Dundee. It follows a uh, Bob Servant, local businessman and cheeseburger van tycoon um, as he launches an eccent- somewhat eccentric campaign managed by his hapless right-hand man, Frank played by Jonathan Watson, to become the independent member of parliament for Broughty Ferry. So I know you've been looking forward, uh, I think maybe since we even started doing this, Wally, I know you've been looking forward to doing Bob Servant, Mm -hmm. Nicky. So why don't you tell us how you came across this one? I watched this not long after it went out. Um, I mean, I was living in Dubai at the time, but I think being homesick, I was going through a a big stage of Scottish comedy. So this was around about the time Berniston was on, Limmy's show, I think Gary Tank Commander was on about this time as well. So I was consuming quite a lot of Scottish comedy. And you know when you get on a run of things and you just want more. Mm. And then I'd heard about this show, Bob Servant. And I was like, oh, Brian Cox is in it, Jonathan Watson. I'll give it a try. And as soon as I put on the first episode and just the opening and it's the seriousness of the tone of the, I'm not a punter. And <laughs> yeah. when he says that about the, you know, you, your Mahatma Gandhis, your Obamas and your Burt Reynolds, straight away. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this this sounds good. And then when he follows it up with a that carving with all the president's penises, I, I, okay, this is my kind of comedy. And yeah, I watched the whole of the first series pretty much in, I think, a day and just absolutely loved it. It took me a while to watch the second series right. uh, because I think I, I, it wasn't as well publicized and I'd kind of forgotten it came out. Yeah. But uh, that was my first kind of inkling of Bob. And as I say, I just absolutely adored it. I did download the book that it's that's based on but yeah. for some reason I've never got round to reading them and I did want to read at least the first one for this episode but time got away with me and yeah. I didn't get a chance unfortunately yeah. but I, I genuinely I think I've only watched this series once but it did stick with me in my mind of how much I loved it so it was a joy to watch this again and just watching the first episode I, I genuinely was crying with laughter <laughs> at some of the parts it's 
it's just such an introduction. It's so good. Uh, so what about yourself? When did you first come across Bob Servant? I, well, I saw it when it came out on BBC4. I mean, it was you know, like for, for listeners who maybe don't live in the UK, BBC3 and 4 were the sort of digital BBC channels. So you got you got BBC1, BBC2 who which at that time where you could access um i don't think i don't think the uk had quite gone full digital television by that point probably mostly and then bbc3 and bbc4 bbc3 is more of a sort of youth kind of kids not kids it's sort of young person's channel. The BBC Four is it a was bit... the channel that like two pints of lager and a pack yeah. of crisps used to be on. That kind th- of yeah. yeah. I think Gavin and Stacey started on BBC Three as well before they they brought yeah. on BBC Two. But BBC Four is generally a bit more sort of highbrow. BBC Four was always brilliant on a Friday night for getting kind of musical documentaries you know like classic albums and stuff like that or maybe like a sort of Mark Kermode documentary Mark Gattis mm. did a good documentary series for BBC4 all about ho- all about horror horror films mm. which you can see on YouTube if you haven't seen it it's well worth a watch so I had seen Bob Servant advertised on there and I was thinking that's a bit of a unusual one for BBC4 because like I don't know I mean they, they may well have done I've obviously I've not watched BBC4 for like six years since I moved away but I can't think of any other sitcoms that they did before Bob Servant they maybe showed a couple of episodes of classic sitcoms that maybe they don't come out very much you know what I mean um, these days but to have like something which feels like it was made for BBC4 was a bit unusual. So I think I watched it out for two reasons. One, because Brian Cox was in it and two, out of curiosity because I didn't, I thought it would be a sort of comedy drama. And then to your point, mm. that first episode, and, and it's not even just the first episode, almost every episode, I found watching it back this time, I had to kind of go back because there are so many one-liners, especially from Bob Servant. But, like later on, also from Frank as well, with Jonathan Watson and some of the other characters that uh, that are in there, and it's just—I mean, I've, I've I've noted down some of my some of my favourite ones, and maybe we we'll, maybe we can we can do them towards the end. But um, it's just, this is like astonishing, just not not what I expected for BBC Four, but also for Brian Cox. I knew him from like Manhunter and um, Braveheart and like Planet the like Rise of the Planet of the Apes, like like fucking like so many films I can't. Even begin to remember what they all are. And here he is playing a character unlike any other character I've ever seen him play. Because when he's in movies, Brian Cox, he's a dramatic actor generally. I don't th- I can't think of a comedy. I mean, I'm sure he probably has done a comedy film, but I've not seen it and I can't think of can't think of it. But he's playing such an eccentric sort of character. It's just bizarre. it's just absolutely bizarre. But brilliantly, brilliantly funny. To go back to your BBC four thought, yeah. and I, I agree, it was so strange that this went out on BBC four, especially at the time, because as I say, you had things like uh, I think Still Game had maybe was on it yeah, would it have was been on like hiatus at this time. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. During its break. But you had things like, as I say, Berniston and Limmy's show and Gary Tank Commander, they were all on BBC one or yep. two. And I think Gary Tank Commander maybe started on three. I can only assume that one of the, whoever is in charge of picking which channel this goes on, got the synopsis and it was just a show starring Brian Cox and it's about a local independent election. Has thought, well, this is politics. This is highbrow because it's Brian Cox. This is BBC Four. Yeah. And I do wonder if there was a little bit of a mistake there or if it was just some sort of this will appeal to the yeah. BBC Four audience. Yeah. Let's try a bit just, of comedy. D- yeah. As you say about Brian Cox, he is used to 
you know, you're used to seeing him in serious roles and being yeah. a big kind of dramatic actor. His comedy timing in this is phenomenal. His delivery of one-liners <laughs> is just absolutely astonishing. He is a comedy genius. And you couldn't wish to have, in terms of Scottish comedy, I think, a better partner than Jonathan Watson to bounce yeah. off of. And the two of them as a dynamic partnership is absolutely phenomenal. It's just, you just have to look at some of their facial expressions and interactions. And I, I'm crying thinking about some of the things that they do together. They're just so good. Yeah. I, do you know the story behind Brian Cox actually being cast in the role? I know, a bit, Servant? I know a bit about it. I know that he did... He did it for Radio Scotland to begin with. I think there was a show called the Bob Servant Emails, right? But I'm not sure how they came to how they came to find Brian Cox for the role. It was effectively uh, Neil Forsyth who wrote the book. Yeah, and he'd written this book, and it, it started off. He was bored one day, and he actually genuinely started replying to like the scam emails you got from Nigerian <laughs> right. princes and things. Yeah, and he would send these lengthy emails as his character he created Bob Servant. So he collected them and put them in a book published the book. book didn't do very well. And then all of a sudden, Irvin Welsh picked it as one of his funniest books in right. this kind of observer, what's your top 10 books of the last yeah. couple of years. And then it gained a bit of traction. Then he got a call from the BBC saying, we'd like to make this into a radio or sitcom. Yeah. Yeah. Would you be interested? And of course, like, yeah, of course I'll be interested. <laughs> yeah. Who would you like to play Bob? Well, Brian Cox. And instantly they were like, <laughs> nah 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 got stuck in limbo for a bit and neil forsyth was in new york and he's a big dundee united fan and he was in this pub in new york watching a dundee united against rangers game and there was only one other dundee united fan in the bar so they struck up a conversation and he asked him what he did and neil explained and says yeah it's got this thing kind of stuck in limbo and the guy says oh who would you want to play bob he said well brian cox would be my dream and the guy turned around to him went yeah i know brian he's my mate <laughs> and that was it he got yeah. in touch with him and then brian read the book and uh, it phoned up neil and said yeah uh bob reminds me of my late brother charlie right. and i'll do it so he oh, flew okay. in did the radio shows yeah and then it got commissioned for three parts tv series so came back they filmed the three parts then it got commissioned for another three so then they filmed the other three and you can tell in the first series the first three episodes and the second three are a little bit different yeah. and that's because they were filmed months apart and written the, the first three were completed before the second three were even written and and then, of course, they did the, the second three for the second series. But yeah, that's how Brian Cox came to become Bob Serf. Yeah, that's a great story. I mean, I think because I, th I, mean, I think I heard also that he had expressed a bit of an interest in doing something because he's because Brian Cox, that like you mentioned earlier, he's up, he's from Dundee, he's from that neck of the woods, mm. and uh, most of his most of like his career. Because I, I listened to an interview with him, uh, he's been interviewed by David Tennant on David Tennant's sort of occasional podcast. That I, I guess he does it between acting roles, um, and mm. D David Tennant's uh, quite well connected, it seems, and people are quite happy <laughs> to talk to him. You know, so um, he had Brian Cox on, and he was talking about his career, and he went off to drama school in London. I think he went to the Royal Academy in London. Quite, quite young. 
you know, he joined the Royal Shakespeare Company. I think he acted alongside guys like uh, John Gielgud and uh, Laurence Olivier and stuff like that. So, they got, and then obviously he's gone to America, to Hollywood, etc. So, I don't think, apart from sort of Braveheart, which is, it's a brilliant role, but it's, a, it's kind of fleeting appearance, if you like. I think he's only in the film mm. for about 15, 20 minutes. He's ever done anything in Scotland that's like sort of quintessentially Scottish. I can't really think, apart from Bob Sterling. Shot at glory. Well, I suppose, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shot at glory. <laughs> Manager of Rangers FC, surely quintessentially <laughs> Scottish. The old uh, Rangers. No, I I would agree with you. Looking through his his kind of career, because it is something when I'm looking for things to do for the Swally, you think let's yeah. do something that Brian Cox has done. Yeah. And when you look through his career, you're like, oh wow, there's there's not a lot I can really pick from this. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. I think you know he did. Um, I think this is some of the massive roles. I mean, obviously his his stock is incredibly high at the moment with Succession which has been like fantastically successful and you know he I mean there's a lot of great actors and brilliant performances in Succession but Brian Cox I mean and he's you know he's he's almost not even in Succession as much as some of the rest of the cast you know like Kieran Culkin and um, the guy who plays uh, Kendall and all that but they like, when he's in the, the, the episodes where he is predominantly part of it he just totally steals the show from all these young actors you know and again is there ever a better delivery of fuck off than yeah. Logan Roy delivering fuck off it's incredible <laughs> and it's true uh, our mutual friend was watching Succession at our recommendation yeah I think and he's given up on to it, give though. any spoilers uh, yeah, yeah of course he has yeah. and it's a shame because and it's as he said I'm on episode 3 does it get better and I'm kind of thinking I, I forget I, I genuinely love the whole cast of mm-hmm. succession. I, I love Kendall's um story. Yeah. I love as you said, Kieran Culkin's um elements. I, I absolutely love uh Greg and Tom as a as a double act. <laughs> yeah, you know, the whole cast phenomenal. Yeah. But you're right. And and I did say I had to kind of check the synopsis and I was like, oh yeah, Logan's kind of missing for episodes two and three technically. It's yeah. not until four he comes back in a big way and the show kind of kicks into gear. Yeah. And that is because of Brian Cox, because he's yeah. there and he just he just commands so much presence and he's just a phenomenal actor Mm -hmm. and I would agree to your point is he our favourite Scottish actor I kind of sway between him and Peter Mullen yeah yeah. both very different careers but both phenomenal actors I mean Peter Mullen's sort of cutting his way through Hollywood a wee bit now isn't he he just did um, what's the one Jason Bateman Set in the uh, the one in Netflix, Ozark. Ozark, that's it. Yeah, um, you know it plays a very good part in it. But um, yeah, I mean, but I think especially in season two of Succession, um, and obviously it's got the classic episode where Logan Roy comes back to Dundee to the family home and to op- to the open the art is it he goes to open the museum or open like a exhibition in the museum and all that kind of thing. And um, yeah, it's just he's just he's just such such a good actor. And if they think about like the rain of stuff that he's done you know he's done like the X-Men probably the best X-Men film uh, the second one where he plays um, Riker the baddie general um, that's uh, uh, kind of rounding up all the mutants absolutely phenomenal personally speaking in my opinion better than Anthony Hopkins at uh, Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. Hann- he is wee, I think we mentioned it in the podcast before. He's a wee bit. He becomes a bit kind of pantomime. Even I watched. I yeah. watched Silence of the Lambs recently. I hadn't seen it for a long time. And even his performance in Silence. I mean, it's a great performance, but it's a wee bit kind of woo, you know, um, bit kind of pantomime sort of villain. Whereas in Manhunter, it's just fucking. I mean, Brian Cox is just. You know, he plays it very straight. About the but there's something really sinister about the way he plays Hannibal Lecter. You know what I mean? You could imagine him just sort of turning without warning. 
You know what I mean? Be putting you at ease until you get close and then fucking biting your face off. So to go back to Bob Servant, and we can link it in with Succession to do the little thing. This is almost like if Logan Roy had had like a sliding doors moment, you know, <laughs> when he was maybe 16. Maybe there'd been an incident with a bit of skirt. and there'd been some sort of parallel universe that Logan Roy ends up becoming a cheeseburger mogul in Brotty Ferry and is, would you say, his kind of life partner in a way, Frank? Frank. So, to talk about the cast, (laughs) I think we have, I think we've covered Brian Cox, Jonathan Watson as Frank is, is just an incredible actor. It's amazing. Jonathan Watson just seems to not be the age. He looks very different in this role as Frank. But Uh then, of course, now when you see him in Two Doors Down, you looks a bit younger than yeah he did playing frank but i bet he's, he's meant to be kind of mousy and little but he is a really a phenomenal scottish talent when you think of the his career and what he's been in over the years i know he's associated a lot with only an excuse and you know that has been a fantastic run but he's done some great shows as well yeah yeah two doors down especially i mean his character in two doors down has got a wee you detect a little bit of Bob Servant DNA in his character mm. just for the he's always got to be a wee bit better than uh, he's always yeah. got, he's got the best thing and you know, like, like uh, Bob with his extension <laughs> you know what I mean his fancy jacket and you know there's a wee there's a, I mean a, a tiny bit not enough for it to because um, his character in uh, Two Doors Down is very much his you know it's very much his own character but you're, you're right I mean, I mean I admit the first time I saw Jonathan Watson was on Naked Video and mm. you know obviously we did Naked Video a few months ago still available on their podcast directories everyone and so that was like 1986, I think, that first series Naked video. And you're right, he still looks much the same. You're like, for a redhead yeah. who's spent most of his, seems to have spent most of his career filming in Scotland, he's aged remarkably well. <laughs> As we mentioned, their dynamic together is, is fantastic and we'll come to that, but to keep on the cast what impressed me so much watching it this time was the amount of one-off appearances you have from people in pretty small roles and you have to think they've probably only got involved because they're like well Brian Cox is doing this and Jonathan Watson you know he must be able to pull some strings as well so you have the likes of you know Siobhan Redmond turning up for like a two-minute scene Shirley Henderson in an episode Sanjeev Kohli in just a couple (laughs) of scenes Uh, Ron Donaghy in like two tidy little scenes as well Sheila playing Bob's mother uh, yeah. Derek Riddle is the priest and of course we'll come on to Big Hendo later on but <laughs> yeah. a massive amount of Scottish talent just playing tiny little roles in this in one episode for a yeah. lot of them yeah. and of course it must be like do you want to do half a day's filming with Brian Cox uh, yeah I'll do that yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure I'll find time I'm sure River City will let me off for an afternoon to come up to Brody Ferry <laughs> What have I got to do? Well, Brian Cox is just going to sit and say a few lines to you, basically asking you for like a a magic potion to make my eyes glint. And well, I mean, it's Frank that asked for that potion to Siobhan Redmond. uh, (laughs) And then, of course, uh, in the the first series, particularly, you have Polly Polly Anna McIntosh. Um, yeah, playing uh, Philippa Edwards, her size queen from Jones. the Phil Yeah, indeed, yeah, the size queen playing a very different role 
um, mm. than she was in the last episode. Well, I only just realised watching Bob's Servant, but she is in is it two or three seasons of The Living Dead, uh, The Walking Dead, isn't she? She plays the ones, the guys that, I don't remember what they're called, but the guys that live in the scrapyard. <laughs> uh, I can't remember. Is that The Whisperers or... Something like that, No, yeah. the, No, The Whisperers or others. I can't remember what they are, but... Um, I mean, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of reasons why this sort of sticks with you. Uh, not least all the reasons we've mentioned, but I think the fact that you know it's all shot in location around Dundee and Brody Ferry. It's all. Mm. It, Apart from Rufus Jones, all Scottish actors playing really recognisable sort of characters. I mean, when I lived in Aberdeenshire, before I left home, we lived in a, in a little village about uh, 25, 30 miles outside Aberdeen. And, uh, you know, I, I went to school there. I worked around there for a bit until I moved into Aberdeen itself, work, you know, worked in, the, in, a, in a local pub and stuff. And, and again, it's, it's just it's testament to Brian Cox's performance, but you do meet people a bit like Bob Servant. I mean, the, the character Bob Servant oh, is. Yeah. He is he's very much an exaggerated version of those types of characters. But you know, you spend like an afternoon in an Aberdeen city centre pub, like somewhere like the Prince of Wales or something, and you you overhear people sort of blowhard kind of people talking about themselves and yep. stuff or their opinions on things, and they've all got a wee bit of Bob Servant. So you know, as much as he's a hilarious character, there's a lot of believability in there as well. Oh, completely. He is very believable. I, I I've thought about that. Everyone knows someone like Bob Servant. We've all met yeah. them. I, I'm working in. Um, Hazelhead Golf Club when I was younger. I've met a lot of Bob Servants. Yeah. He's almost like a toned down version of the the big man from Chewing the Fat. You know, not quite the... Is it the big... No, not the big the guy, man. The, the, the guy the, in the, the, golf guy club. the golf club. The talk yeah. that refers to himself in the third person all the time. Yeah. Big jock. Big jock. Yeah. Big jock. <laughs> uh, he's almost like a very toned down version of big jock in a way. <laughs> the thing about Bob is he's a wonderful character. Yeah. He's got brilliant one-liners and at the very end he redeems himself in a way but up until then he's not a a very likable (laughs) character he that's the thing it's a weird thing he is a likable character but he's not he's not a nice character (laughs) he's i mean i think there's there's something more in the first series there's something more sort of there's something more more attractive about him in the first series because he's he's trying to be a member of parliament he clearly has no idea what being a member of parliament involves he thinks He's going to essentially be the ruler of Broughty Ferry. You know, that's like when he when he tells the policeman he's going to have to arrest himself and all that kind of thing. You know, he's got no idea. Probably a bit of a character in Broughty Ferry, but maybe not quite as renowned as he thinks he is. And he likes the idea of maybe doing something for the community, maybe a wee bit, but it's more the self-promotion part of it. And you think he can do a better job than all these, uh, these daft English MPs, you know? I- I think it is very much because on the in episode six election day when he thinks he's going to win and he's speaking to the priest and about renting out his extension <laughs> and he does say I'm going to be minted you know it's <laughs> it's brown envelopes white envelopes oh is that your handbag oh no it's not my handbag Frank can take the handbag <laughs> he's in it for the money and the fame he's not in it he's got no policies apart from free wellies and <laughs> a direct train to Ireland he's. <laughs> He's got nothing. He's in it for the fame. You do get a glimpse of it in the debate when he delivers the famous Braveheart speech. That yeah. he does, he's fed up of England coming and doing stuff and, and telling us and what to do. When to go to the, when to go to the toilet. He's in it. <laughs> 
But he's in it for the fame and the money, without a doubt, and the skirt. Yeah, skirt, yeah. <laughs> he's, um, as you say, this it's, it's full of recognisable characters. I mean, I'm not going to go through each episode one by one, but a particular standout for me is Greg McHugh's Anders in the Afternoon, typical local radio DJ, and that radio show Meltdown about the, Dawes, about the dog <laughs> mess in Dawson Park is just absolutely broken. The way Bob just keeps leasing it. And, you know, the phone calls about the parking tickets, rip it up, I'll throw in a blue badge. <laughs> he keeps flipping back and forth, like, whatever the caller is annoyed about, about what he said, he just immediately U-turns, you know. I mean, I was, when I was thinking about, I was thinking ahead to the podcast earlier today, I was, and I was sort of getting my notes together, I was thinking, this podcast could literally be maybe two and a half hours long, but like an hour and a half of it is just one-liners of Bob's that, that yeah. we've cut into the I, podcast. I almost started wanting to put them into categories of Bob's misremembers in terms of things he's remembered from the past, like famous events, but got them slightly wrong. Bob comparing disasters to something. And <laughs> then, of course, just literally his one-liners that he comes out with. So yeah. I, I, I totally agree. It could have just been a complete episode of doing stuff like that. I, I mean, what are some of your favourites of those that he he ends up coming out with. Right, so I've got How Local. I thought that was funny. You were locked in the cupboard for for two minutes. You're hardly Terry Waite. <laughs> I've got Dare I Say Measles <laughs> when he's, he's asking Shelby Henderson how her husband died. Uh, she slipped away. Yeah, it's got uh, thinks he's the new Lenny Henry. <laughs> fucking, uh, I prefer ITV2 plus one. <laughs> the people's channel um yeah i mean the the eu have done some good things they made bucks fizz rip off their skirts <laughs> lesbians urban myth and then i think my app my absolute favorite i don't care if you're talking to burt reynolds about long division <laughs> you have a few favorites i i do i mean I, i'm gonna save my two favorites for um the end of the podcast towards the end but i do love his mis the way he turns uh disasters or or events into things so um he does particularly say i think after his uh radio visit he does say that was a complete hiroshima yeah. and he um then he does come before the debate when he said this is going to make vietnam look like crufts <laughs> And there's another event when he does say it was a complete Chernobyl. Um, yes. I also like when he misremembers kind of famous fables or things that happened. <laughs> so it's about the time that the miners in Chile got stuck in a cupboard. Yeah. And about the wee about the wee boy in Holland that got his penis stuck in a dam. <laughs> yeah. There's two other ones that I wrote down. Um, when he goes to the Tory MP's campaign headquarters and they've got the big photocopiers and he says he didn't have photocopiers like that in Nuremberg and then Frank goes thank god for that <laughs> and I think my absolute favourite to your point things that he misremembers is the Willy Wonka uh, golden underpants <laughs> <laughs> analogy that I don't I cannot do it justice so maybe maybe we can cut it in at some point you know Frank the brothers dinner it's not something I've ever fancy going to well You've never been invited. Well, that's because they probably think I'd turn it down. And I usually would. But, you see, this year, Frank, this year, I need in. I need in. Because she is like Willy Wonka. She looks at the people of Broy Ferry, and then she picks one. And once you're picked, that's you. Life will never be the same again. Just like Willy Wonka in the film. He looked at the people, he picked that young boy, 
And then Wonka took that lovely young boy and put him in golden underpants. And then Wonka led that boy by the hand and walked off into the disco. No. Well, you know, Frank, no, you know no. what? Well, that's not what happened in the film, Bob. I'm going to the disco! <laughs> to go back to the photocopier's element, it sets it out quite well, and that's what I love is the... Of course, that's an episode two, but it's the... Um, all the local references that mm-hmm. they, they dip in. And, and when he's speaking about the photocopiers, he says, I've seen bigger. And the guy's square <laughs> in our broth. <laughs> and when he's speaking to Sanjeev Kohli about getting a new leather jacket or putting out the word, the whispers for some skirt. Yeah. And I, to go back to skirt, that is probably one of my favourite moments. When Frank says, we need to get a woman. Yeah. And he just opens the filing cabinet and he has a folder called skirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not to be sex, it's Bob Servant's words in his folder, not ours. Yeah, yeah. And he does say how far you want him to go, and he's very much like, Breakin, maybe, I'm in or both? No, that's too far. <laughs> Unless you can drive. <laughs> yeah. But there's, there's constant mentions to things like that, and just little off-the-cuff moments. Yeah. And as we say, we, we, him and Jonathan Watson are phenomenal, but the supporting cast that are there occasionally are so good, like Stewpot, the barman. There's, yeah. there's some great banter between them yeah. um, when they're in the pub. And just the the interaction that they all have and that shows the disdain that people basically have for bob but yeah no i think they think frank's an all right guy yeah, the opening sequence in the first series, I think the very first shot of Bob is him banging on the barber's window and uh, and saying hello to the guy, and uh, they're just looking at him with bewilderment <laughs> through, the, through the glass. Now, I wondered if that, because that's actually the second shot you see of Bob. The first shot is the one that cracks me up every episode, and he's on a little springy horse rocking back and forth <laughs> while Frank's taking notes. And then when he bangs on the window, I ca- it sounds like he says, Hiya, Georgie! Yeah, it does. Like, Is that a reference to it? <laughs> <laughs> Bob's like this killer clown in Brotty Ferry, kind of going yeah. around merging people. <laughs> uh, now, I want to ask about Frank yeah. for a little bit. Now, in the first three episodes, and as I say, the, the first three episodes were filmed and then the second three episodes were written and then filmed. And right. then the third three kind of episodes. So in the first three episodes, Frank's quite kind of nondescript, a little bit, you know, odd. Yeah, but, you know, quiet. Me. Yeah, yeah. In the second three episodes, I think it's heavily implied that Frank's gay. Right, okay. Because there are, if just in episodes three, uh, sorry, in episodes four, five, and six. In episode four, there is the, uh, that's the episode with Colin, the cameraman. Yeah, oh, that yeah. Frank yeah. seems very enamoured with. Right. And he keeps asking about him. And he does say, you know, have you met Colin? Oh, he's a lovely guy. And then yeah. at the end, he phones him up and asks him if he wants to go to Alton Towers. <laughs> right. Because there's a, a voucher. Very. There is a, a reference uh, episode five in the debate, just before the debate, when they go to the gym. When they go to the gym, rather, because uh, Bob decides he needs to lose an inch or two off his waist in 45 minutes, but they have to have time for their tea. There's a guy working out, and Frank does go, oh, look at his muscles. <laughs> and he does make a reference to Nick being very dishy as well. And yeah. I just wonder if it's quite kind of implied in those three episodes that Frank might be gay. And right. that's what I wondered when they were leading up to in the second series, when it, it does kind of come out, Frank's trying to tell Bob something for the first, you know, yeah. seven minutes or so. Like, you know, when you're talking about the woman in the skirt, I need to tell you something. And I thought, yeah. oh, Frank's going to say he's gay. Yeah. So I was quite surprised when he said that he had a girlfriend and it was Dorothy, his swimming instructor, that he'd mentioned. <laughs> 
happened a lot of times in series one. I don't know. I, I never. Um, I, I don't know. I, I didn't get that. I thought he was maybe just trying to make more friends. You know, the, the, that the whole episode with Colin the cameraman. I thought, you know, obviously Bob's like, in the second series. We learn a bit more about the history of Frank and Bob's relationship. It turns out mm. it goes right back to when they were kids and uh, Bob's dads emigrated to Dunfermline with another woman. <laughs> Bob's had to go and live with Frank. Quite unclear in one episode. They mention a few times that your brother and yeah. he, he does say he's not my brother and yeah. but then they reference again his brother it's quite they kind of yeah. confuse things a little bit but it's obviously clear it's not his brother because when they go to visit his mum she does clearly say you know you're, you've got your best pal Francis so yeah. and it's, yeah, his it's mu- obviously his, not his, his mum loves Frank as well she really likes yeah. him doesn't she yeah yeah I mean like, like you said earlier he's he's sort of perfectly cast Jonathan Watson because he's, he's a good bit shorter than Brian Cox which I think the character needs to be he's brilliant at, he's brilliant at playing because he's He's not sort of sycophantic with Bob. He just thinks that everything that Bob does and says is brilliant. He's just, it's, it's, it's like he's sort of permanently impressed by Bob by his walk, for example, you know what I mean, and his <laughs> and his and his jumpers and all that kind of thing, and and it's, it's his reactions to stuff, you know, when the camera just cuts to him. Like I think in the in the second series when Bob sort of he's making amends by doing his wee speech in the church for uh, treating Frank so poorly, and he found out that he's uh, going to get married, and he's, he talks about how um, you know, like when Frank was young, all they had was like a pair of cardboard underpants that he made himself. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the camera sort of cuts to Jonathan Watson and he's sort of shaking his head but then he, he sort of looks off to the side a wee bit like yeah actually that is true you know he's just he's just he's just such a good comedy actor Jonathan Watson do you know what I mean and it's it's those wee sort of subtleties I think there's I can't remember what's going oh yeah it's when they go to the Lord Provost dinner and uh, Bob like takes over the speech because he thinks the Lord Provost speech is boring and he's so, you know, he stands up and uh, Frank's like, walk up your daughters, you know, just in anticipation <laughs> of this, his absolute <laughs> idol's about to take the floor and make some great jokes and give a brilliant speech. <laughs> so good. Do you think, though, that, and I do wonder this just from watching it, because Bob has all these fabled stories about all his experience with the skirt mm-hmm. and all the things he's done. And I can't work out if he's just kind of making up these stories in a way. He doesn't <laughs> seem to have as much success or, or yeah. much tact with the skirt. Yeah. <laughs> Has Frank been there on this journey? Because there is the time in the prayer group when they're discussing, a, a, Bob is wanting to tell a story about adventures with the skirt. And they're kind of sharing, oh, well, I tell that one with the turnip. No, 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 you can't tell that. Oh, <laughs> what about the one on the bus? Uh, no, no, no. Oh, well, okay. So has Frank been there for a lot of these adventures? Or is a lot of these adventures in Bob's head? Because he does seem like the type of character, and we all know people like this. Yeah. Because, because Frank and Bob, it seems like they spend pretty much every waking hour together. Yeah. Is Bob the type that Frank goes to the toilet? And then when Frank comes back, Bob's like, oh, I've just had Dorothy around. I had her here, there, and everywhere. Oh, you should, it was amazing. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Oh, you've just missed her. And Frank <laughs> would be like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, wow. That was quick. But oh, I'll believe it. You're a legend, Bob. We all know people like that. <laughs> yeah. I can't work out if Bob genuinely was a legendary skirt Lothario back in the day, or if a lot of it is in his head. 
and he is a complete fantasist. I mean, he obviously did have quite a successful business with the Burger Empire because he's mm. got that nice house with that beautiful extension. Yep. And we need to come back to the extension yeah. <laughs> to mention that. I just wonder if, if this did happen or if Bob's making up a lot of if these fantasies. If he's a, a fantasist. I mean, it's a lot of line where maybe in the second series when he's talking about how Frank's got a girlfriend and it used to be that Frank used to hold Bob's coat mm. when he was getting in about the skirt. And now, you know... <laughs> I mean, the second series. I mean, I enjoyed it, and it and it does. It's got some great moments and some brilliant lines in it. But I, I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed the first series. I think, and I think it was the whole yeah. sort of uh, Bob sort of trying to sabotage Frank's relationship, and and you know they he you know he does he redeems himself in the right way at the end like he doesn't quite 100% make up for all the stuff he's done to try and sabotage Frank and Dorothy's impending marriage but he does he does just enough so you're like you know, we we kind of forgive him, and you know, Frank forgives him and stuff. But he still has to go to the minister and say, "Follow that," and he's he's still got to do his bizarre puppet show in the um in the reception. That was weird. Yeah, that puppet show was very strange. I was looking forward because he does mention. I think it's one of the early lines in that episode. Yeah. Well, I've cancelled the DJ. I'm going to do an adult <laughs> puppet show, and I was dying to see this, and it was quite disappointing. In yeah, the anticlimactic. I do. Climatic. I do wonder that when the the show got commissioned, Neil Forsyth did say, well, the book and kind of radio show was all about emails. I don't yeah. know how this is going to work on screen. Yeah. So, well, Bob seems like the kind of guy that would stand for local council mm-hmm. and become you know, independent. Um, so the first series completely revolves around the election. That's done. You've got mm-hmm. nothing to do in the second series. So what do you do? And it does seem that kind of each episode is kind of siloed. So the first episode, it's okay, right, we'll give Frank a girlfriend. We'll make Bob chase this skirt counsellor. Yeah. First episode will be about the burger van. The second episode is just the complete trial of him assaulting Hendo, who we still have to come back to. Yeah, yeah. And then the third episode revolves around the wedding. So I completely yeah. agree. I do think the second episode doesn't seem to flow quite as well. It does yeah. have a concurrent storyline, but seems a bit hit and miss. But I agree, there are some cracking lines. One of my favourite lines, I think, from the series is in the second series. Yeah. But the first series just flows so much better as a story, mm. and you believe and you can watch it and see the whole process of the election. Even the start of the episode, it comes up on the screen how many weeks there are to the election. And I think it just works really well seeing how the campaign's going, how the campaign's building. What's he going to do this week to fuck up his campaign? (laughs) Is he going to try and get the advantage on the other candidates? But second series just feels a little bit kind of flat in a way. Apart from... More Alex Norton. Yeah. You yeah. need more Alex Norton. So when he answers the door as Hendo Henderson, it's just immediate, oh, here we go. That face-off they have in the lounge is <laughs> absolutely phenomenal. And it's just like seeing two, pardon the pun, heavyweights of yeah. Scottish acting going <laughs> mano a mano on screen. It's a, it's a beautiful scene. The way they're just, the way they interact. I need more Norton and Cox together. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, even, even like the, the, the episode, the second episode, I mean, Hendel's in the first episode of the second series a bit, but obviously more so in the second series with the trial. Um, but he doesn't have as much to do in that episode. You know, like that, the, the scene that you've just described, the sort of face off, the showdown in uh, Hendel's living room, you know, he, he he does more 
in that sort of 10 minutes or so or 50 minutes that that scene lasts when he does in that whole second episode of the second yeah. series because he's just he's just, just sort of sitting there in a body cast for most of it and making the odd sort of quip or, or the odd line or whatever but but yeah I mean he's <laughs> just he puts his TV in the fish tank two of his fish have died of heart attacks <laughs> you owe him two fish the fish were fine they died of heart attacks <laughs> It's the beautiful way of the pettiness. They haven't forgotten. Oh, it's a nice place you've got here. Where's your extension? Oh, I haven't got one. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking of getting one. Yeah. It's just the beautiful delivery. Of course, when he comes back about the... Yeah, it's for the grandchildren. Have you got any grandchildren, Bob? Because yeah. no. Hey, am I right in thinking you ran away with a boy from Fintry with a red Sierra? <laughs> oh, hello. Am I right in thinking that you ran away with that boy from Fintry? Well, I drove the Red Sierra. I think it was you. That was my wife. What was your wife? Well, I knew it was one of you. Right, well, uh, thanks for popping round, lads, but turn down just a bit. Just getting the boot in in a sly way, and that's where Bob excels. Yeah. yeah. Those just little cheeky little lines that when he calls um, Nick and his wife, he's got lovely little names for them. Is it Tweedledum and Dickhead? <laughs> 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 and then uh, were they running down the beach and he goes oh here we go Atletico Bellend it's, <laughs> it's just of the, so good uh, speaking of the beach I love them they, after they've ran out of Hendo's house when they hear the police coming they're lying on the beach watching the house <laughs> and you see the policeman walking up in the distance and then they're behind them and he's like don't move a muscle as if the police won't be able to see them if they just stay really still. <laughs> I mean, I imagine Brian Cox probably spent the first sort of 10 years of his professional life really suppressing his uh, Dundonian accent. I wonder if it was quite liberating for him to be able just to let it sort of fly in Bob's servant, or if he had to really sort of get his little colloquialisms back and his little, uh, little set of heavier bits of accent and all that, you know? Uh, I'd imagine it probably comes quite naturally in a way. I mean, it, it does sound completely natural it doesn't mm. sound put on when no, he's coming away with yeah. some of the words and some of the expressions he says it it really sounds yeah. genuine you know, yeah you genuinely believe this character yeah it, the way he's saying things it doesn't it doesn't end the words broughty fairy with wise he ends them with is broughty fairy <laughs> you know he ends them with a's <laughs> this the scene at Radio Scotland in Dundee, I mean, that, that whole episode, and I mean, we'll probably come back to it in the categories later on, but like, from the moment they arrive at the studios and he's, he's notices out a joint when he finds out that it's on the radio and he's put on like the good suit and the good overcoat and all that, right, from that point until like, the very end when he's won the crowd over and he's sort of marching out of the studio celebrating. I mean, that that has to be some of the best comedy ever written. And Neil Forsyth, I think, wrote Guilt, which I've not seen, but you think you've seen Guilt, right? And it's mm. quite, it's a drama, right? It's not, it's not a comedy. Is it like a comedy drama? I think it's a black drama. Um, I a haven't black, watched it yet. It's a black I've drama. Been, <laughs> like Desmond's. A black com- <laughs> oh yeah, Desmond's a black comedy. Desmond's isn't a black drama. Like a, it, it, right, black loosely comedy. kind of light-hearted kind of, yeah, drama right, okay. thing. 
Right, okay. I mean, I've not watched it. Maybe we'll have to cover it for the Swally, I think, in a few, maybe in a few episodes' time. Um, I think um, Series 2 is just wrapped filming, so it might okay. be quite good to maybe do Series 1 just before Series 2 comes out. Yeah, jump in those guilt hashtags on Instagram. <laughs> exactly, let's do that. <laughs> and Twitter. Um, I, I agree, that is phenomenal. It's obviously Bob's big moment that he's got the yeah. debate. So what do you have Frank doing? Well, you have him interacting with a side character and asking for varying degrees of food and <laughs> Yeah, poor Lassie just gets pissed off. What does he ask for? Like a lemon meringue pie? Lemon right? sorbet. Oh, oh, can I get... Lemon think I could get a wee bit of lemon sorbet? She's like, piss off. And Frank trying to do the, the Darren Brown on... <laughs> Again, it's the interaction between the two when Frank says he's trying to Darren Brown you. Bob yeah. loses it. It doesn't work if you tell him. But he even says it to Polly Anna McIntosh when they're up in the gallery. He's, he think Frank tells her that, uh, that he's awaited... He's, she, He's a way to get dead and browned or something like that. His impassioned speech, the Braveheart speech, includes how come Scylla Black got blind date and not Lulu? <laughs> you say, well, did Lulu apply? She should be have to. <laughs> and how come the Crankies didn't get invited to play Bandit? <laughs> but if you remember, that's when he wins the audience because he says, the guy goes, well, can the Crankies sing? Can the Crankies sing? <laughs> <laughs> They not heard. We're all going to Spain. We <laughs> oh Jeanette took is a hell of a chanter. So she is. <laughs> um, right. So, um, how bad are Bob's cheeseburgers? I want to know this because obviously we do get the impression. Well, we get the the fact in um, in season two when he says, uh, "What meat are you using?" and he says, "It's a collage of meat." She said, "That sounds worrying." <laughs> We know that Frank, to prove that Frank had to, yeah, eat everything on the menu and he couldn't feel his hands for two days. We know that the uh, Lord Provost, with her special necklace, made Frank put, uh, made, sorry, Bob, uh, put a sign in his window saying that if uh, people ate too many cheeseburgers, they could die. They sold more cheeseburgers. Granted, two people did die. (laughs) I want to know, how bad is the Widowmaker? And what in the hell is in the computer burger? (laughs) Computer burger is first mentioned in the wedding episode. And I thought it was part of the wedding kind of buffet. So I presumed they would be bite-sized, if you get the pun. (laughs) But obviously they're not bite-sized. They seem like normal-sized burgers. What the fuck is in the computer burger? The computer burger's there, I think, just to show not only how out of touch Bob is, but also how out of touch Frank is. It's like, oh, the kids will be going wild for the computer burger. It's, it's, it's for the same reason they open Bob's water burger disco <laughs> and hire all those... It's a huge success, though. Yeah, because they've hired all those guys to come and dance outside the van, including the paper boy in his vest. It's other little side touches. Did you notice the sign outside the nursing home when he goes to visit his mum? <laughs> yes. Cheerio and all the very best nursing home. I need to talk about Sheila Reed. She is fantastic as Bob's mom. I mean, I, I know her from later years. From I don't know if you ever watched Benidorm. Uh, no, not really. She's in. I've seen bits of Bob as well. It's worth watching it for her series. She's phenomenal right. in it. But right. she's great as Bob's mum uh, in the nursing home. And as you say, she loves Frank. And when he turns up with all the reporters, she's just... You get a nice little glimpse into Frank's childhood. Uh, yeah. Bob's childhood, rather. Sorry, but he's obviously reconnected after she ran off with the binman. 
So when she's talking, when he's holding the press conference in a room, and he's got the guy who works for like the sort of bus period, the sort of Tayside bus periodical, and um, the other two uh, local journalists there, and she's, you know, she's saying all the things that he doesn't want her to say, and he's he's kind of got the pillow in his hand, and I thought, is there going to be a bit of a yeah. sort of jokey Tony Soprano moment or something here <laughs> that's going to like that's going to slaughter his his uh, political ambitions even more? But after the, um, you know, when he wins over the crowd and the studio. I was a wee bit disappointed in the next episode when, which is the final episode, the election episode, when you find out he's only got 112 votes. I was mm. Part of me thought they might have him win it because of how well he's gone down in the in the studio, in the debate in the studio. And then I thought, well, you can imagine like, like Bob Servant in London as an MP. You know, what would that be like? But So then I thought, well, well yeah, they, they won't have him win it. But I thought he would have done a wee bit better than just only 112 votes, you know. I, I think, I mean, it had to be a failure and it gives Bob his opportunity to deliver a few more lines when yeah. it, it's almost damage limitation in a way when he's saying that he was he's withdrawing his bid yeah. after he's lost. That's that, you know, yeah. that sums up Bob. And when he's saying, and if you have cheated and it's only a rumour. Uh, <laughs> it's a rumour at the moment. <laughs> He's putting that into people's head and that just gives Bob one last opportunity to show the kind of character he is and that he's yeah. a, you know, well, he's a massive sore loser because he was he was expecting a win. Yeah. He was fully convinced he would win this election. You know, Bob considers his popularity in much the same way as a character like uh, David Brent considers his popularity as a boss. You know what I mean? So Bob thinks that he is this big popular man about Brody Ferry in the same way that David Brent thinks that everybody loves working for, for him because he's such a good laugh and he's really funny. He doesn't, he doesn't push them that hard. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the election should really tell Bob that he's not the big deal that he thought he was. He still doesn't accept it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> in, the, in the same way that, that David Brent, despite sort of losing his job at the end of the second series of The Office and then the way that he's sort of treated in the Christmas special before he, it sort of comes good for him. But he still never really accepts the fact that he's not a great boss and he's not that popular with the people that work for him and he's not hilariously funny to them. He is to us. Um, you know what I mean? It's just like that, that sort of, there's no, there's no sort of pathos there because he's just sort of just in total denial about the town's opinion of him. You know what I mean? And I don't think the town... If you mentioned it earlier on, I don't think the town necessarily has a bad opinion of him in a in a in any sense or, or the other. It's just that they don't really know who he is. Yeah, I think that's it. They, yeah. They're a bit confused as to, to who he actually is. He's just a guy that used to sell burgers and they don't <laughs> yeah. necessarily know him, but he does think he's a big shot. And he does say, you know, I'm a big fish around here. Yeah. Just because he's got a bit of money and he's got the extension. <laughs> extension. He thinks I mean, he's the big guy. I mean, what I always say about Bob's extension, fucking hell of a view of the tea from oh, his window. It's, it's beautiful. You can see all the way to five. <laughs> the things he hears come <laughs> Coming across the water at night, coyotes. <laughs> it is an incredible view that he has, yeah. so you can say that. And hey, the extension paid for itself. Yeah, I'm not sure how it paid for itself. <laughs> well, that was just an expression, as he. Yeah, I mean, I gotta be honest. Dundee and Tayside in general, of of all the places in Scotland, never really, I never spent any time there at all. I mean, I've, I've gone through Dundee in the train or in the car often. 
right, many times. And I actually really like getting the train from Glasgow, well, from Stirling up to Aberdeen because that whole neck of the woods when you're going past Carnoustie and you go up north of Dundee and you're going you know, by Brody Ferry and Montrose and Arbroath, it's a really, really nice journey. Do you know what I mean? The scenery is absolutely brilliant. But yeah, I've never spent any time there. When I was a kid, like on occasional bank holidays, uh, me and my mum and my sister would go to maybe Montrose or Arbroath yeah. or through to Dundee to yeah. go shopping. I mean, yeah, it's a beautiful area. Yeah, beautiful part of the country. It's, it's really nice. There's a lot to take in there, mm-hmm. and I think that's one thing that Bob Servant does yeah. as in the show, not the yeah. independent candidate. <laughs> it makes Broughty Ferry look beautiful. There's some yeah. lovely shots, you know, on the beach and, as you say, from uh, Bob's extension. Yeah, it does look like a really nice place, and I think it does it a good service in that way. It would have been easy to take the piss out of the community. Still, game can be a wee bit guilty of that on occasion. Like they will, like there's a few stereotypes and still yeah. game. Like like uh, Jake Darcy is um, was the, the JK. I forgot the JK's first name. And you know the Jake uh, Darcy plays Pete. Pete the JK and then Methadone Mike and and stuff like that. Yeah. You know there's you know it's, I guess it's not it's not offensive. I don't think, but it's just it's a wee, I think it's a bit of a shortcut that that Bob Servant doesn't take. Like at no point is no. anybody a figure of fun apart from Frank um, and Bob. I think you know maybe objection. Um, the lawyer. <laughs> yeah, possibly objection. And then Sid, who is covered in mud just with his eyes and his mouth. It doesn't he's exist. He's a, a bit of a figure of fun. Oh, of course, he doesn't exist. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think you're right. Yeah, it's just the two of them. And then, yeah, yeah. objection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because yeah, um, even the barman, Stewpot, he Stewpot, yeah. isn't a figure of fun. He yeah. regularly takes the piss out of Frank. You know, I, I love that in the, um, I think it's the, the episode, episode four, the media, and Frank has the interview and then it gets shown and he goes into the pub and Stu Pot's <laughs> pouring a pint and he goes, how's that wanting to be Annie Lennox thing going? <laughs> it's the deadpan delivery <laughs> yeah. that makes it so good. And it, he's not a figure of fun character either. Yeah. He's yeah. got the, you kind of get the, he's got the one up on Bob yeah. and Frank. Yeah, I mean, like even Greg McHugh obviously plays Anders, the local DJ, is who's in the first episode and the the fifth episodes because he hosts the debate at Radio Scotland. You know, and, and he he plays a sort of believable maybe kind of local drive home DJ but he doesn't play him he doesn't it's not like an exaggerated version of like some moron DJ do you know what I mean he's he's very much like in we've had Greg McHugh on before when we did the Gary Tank Commander pilot Gary's War and we know that he is a phenomenal comedy actor but yet he he's very happy just to play a very good straight man to Brian Cox you know yeah, because as you say, it's not a ridicule because mm-hmm. Anders in the afternoon on Brotty Ferry FM would not yeah. be hosting a political debate on Radio Scotland. <laughs> so he's obviously got a yeah, good kind of re- reputation as a, yeah. a DJ and journalist. So yeah, I, I think you're well, right. He's, he's a, he a very he's, good straight man. He's sort of become a sort of Nicky Campbell type character um, from yeah, like possibly. the first episode to the fifth episode maybe, you know. We the fortune yeah, to Crime Watch. Before we wind up and go through awards there are quite a lot of wonderful celebrity name drops in this series yeah. <laughs> so you have like daily thompson bob geldoff terry Waite, yeah. um lenny henry uh, annika rice timmy mallet have you got any particular favorites because i've got two that stand out for me I've in got terms a, of i do mentions. have what i've got the, the prince charles one in the very last episode when he's, he's trying to put mm. frank off marriage and he's like look at charles and die their wedding didn't work out he had to go now be his auntie <laughs> 
<laughs> that killed me. I think that I think that one in the in my in the then the then Henry one were two of my particular favourites. But there's there's so many. It's different. You, you've got a whole memory board there of one liners. It looks like I do pretty much. Uh, I, my two favourites without a doubt are in the first episode of series two when Bob says that Sir Trevor Macdonald is the maddest shagger in Britain. <laughs> I'd forgotten that one. <laughs> my second favourite, and it could be my favourite line from the whole series, comes in uh, episode five, The Debate, when Nick asks Bob if he's nervous, and he says, I've only been nervous three times in my whole life. I've only been nervous three times in my life. Okay. The day I was born, when I first used a soda stream, and that time I thought I saw Fred West in Argus. And there won't be a fourth. So I mean, there's just there's too many that we could just do like a Bob Servant one-liner podcast and probably get like two ninety-minute episodes out of it. So we could. I think we might get some copyright issues doing that. <laughs> yeah, We've probably yeah. already done enough, to be honest. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, anyway. Uh, uh, so, anything else on Bob Servant? Uh, have you got any other gleaming facts or anything? I don't. I don't have any facts. Oh, there is one little point that I forgot to mention that made me laugh in the first series. Is uh, Bob's? Uh, sorry, Frank's black box ringtone <laughs> every time his phone oh, rings I meant to mention that <laughs> yeah. on tape. I meant I meant to mention that that's phenomenal nice little attention to detail nice little touch there and uh, yeah what a random ringtone to have um, I did see that this show was voted number two on uh, an article the Scotsman did right. a couple of years ago on the 20 best Scottish TV shows of all time I don't know if I'd agree with that don't think I, don't, I would. I'd, I don't think I'd put it in the top 20, maybe, but I wouldn't put it number two. I mean, I guess it's voted by people who, by the Scotsman, who probably also watch BBC Four. <laughs> you know what I mean? They've, they've, probably, they've probably never seen High Times or something like that, you know? Um, but, uh, but, you know, I think as a, as a, as a comedy show, you know, I, I, I can't think of another Scottish sitcom where, like, so many, so many, I mean, not even like a Scottish sitcom, but like a, a British sitcom of recent years where so much, so many funny lines and funny occurrences just, like, I mean, almost every every few minutes and every episode something funny happens and it's it's if it's not something that makes you sort of grin, it's something that makes you just fucking have to pause it and get a, and, wipe, and wipe your eyes and then wind it back, you know what I mean? It's just packed with gold. Make, what makes it so funny as well would you agree is that it's deadpan delivery and there's mm-hmm. no canned laughter that's Absolutely. what makes it so much funny for me that's my type of humor it's just it's all deadpan delivery there's no look yeah. to camera there's no kind of oh it's yeah it's just completely seriously played and yeah, yeah as you say there's so many one lines we even forgot the it, it kind of reminded me the scene where bob and frank are looking through the papers for conversation topics to discuss <laughs> in their date with shirley henderson we didn't even discuss shirley henderson <laughs> is um that just reminded me of looking for news stories for the swally and i'm thinking is that boy with his head stuck in a bucket is that <laughs> yeah. gonna work <laughs> <laughs> yeah he'll be inadvertently uh, inspired by Bob Servant's um, skirt chasing repertoire (laughs) (laughs) preparations. I mean, to go to go back to what you were saying before, you know, it's it's a it's a comedy show that entirely trusts its audience to know Mm. when it's funny, what's going on. I mean, there's not even any massive bits of exposition, like where they they shoehorn a scene in where Bob explains in great detail why he's running to be an independent candidate. It just, Mm. you know, his reasons for wanting to do it sort of evolve through. 
evolve all the way through and they sort of change they sort of chop and change as I guess Bob kind of sort of kind of blows in the wind a little bit in terms of why he's doing this and you know what I mean all that kind of thing it's you know it's just incredibly clever and I can't think of a of a comedy like I suppose they again come back to a bit of an office comparison you know the office sort of trusts the audience as well there's no laughter track etc but it's you know the office is funny but it's, there's not as much sort of comedy just crammed in it's not like Ricky Gervais has sort of thought to himself when they've been writing it right we need to get something hilarious in every five minutes bang 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 and I don't think that that's necessarily what Neil Forsyth has done either it's just that he's they've put together this brilliant sort of company of actors they've got they've totally struck gold with Brian Cox who they, you mentioned before when you were explaining he, the character reminded him of his brother so he had something mm. to draw on and I'm sure his brother wasn't the only person that he's known in his life growing up in Tayside that he's taken uh, elements from and just built this I, and, I, and I also wonder I wonder how much of it is is just completely off the script and I wonder how much of it is just sort of come out in rehearsals or ad-libs or mm. whatever and it's sort of evolved um, episodes it'd be interesting to maybe have to try and track down a wee bit of Brian Cox talk, or Jonathan Watson talking about um, filming Bob Servant and get maybe we should have done that before we did the podcast <laughs> I did try and have a look yeah. um, and I watched a couple of interviews but there was nothing concrete about the, the filming of the TV show it was yeah. about the radio show because I wanted to find out if there were if it was fully scripted or if it was kind of improvised to an effort but I think it was pretty scripted Yeah, but yeah I would love to know that You because know, little things like the when the, the vicar they're having a little bit of banter and he says well Bob you told people that I, I was a wizard that <laughs> You know, I'd love to know if that was in the script or if, if there was yeah. a few iterations of that. And of course, Bob uses the, I was confused. I'd seen a film, like, <laughs> he uses that a lot. You know? <laughs> I want to know if stuff like that, or as I say, like Bob's, um, when he's describing the, the election candidate and his wife, if they are kind of made up when he's athletical bellend and stuff, <laughs> if that was just yeah. came off or if there were a few iterations of that, I'd love to see that. Yeah, but yeah. who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll need to try and get a hold of uh, scripts. I wonder if he'll ever bring Bob Servant back. I mean, they, I suppose they could do. They could bring him back anytime, really, just for maybe a wee one-off. I'm not sure what they'd do. They could. Uh, they did, I think, for... I can't remember what it was for, if it was for the coronavirus or something. They? There was a little quick YouTube video sketch right. of Bob Servant. I, I meant to watch it and I forgot. One, one last thing, I mean, to speak about Brian Cox, because I had wondered, why do we not have Sir Brian Cox by now? And I looked oh. into that, and he is a CBE. Right. Uh, he was he's awarded a CBE many years ago, and he very much resents the fact that he accepted that. Right. And he said he will never, never become a knight. Um, right. He said he, he is uh, fully behind an independent Scotland and doesn't believe in the royal family. Right. And he only accepted the CBE to impress his sister, who is a massive royalist, mm -hmm. but she didn't give a shit. So... <laughs> <laughs> he said he would not be accepting any knighthood and I'd imagine if he had have done we would have had a Sir Brian Cox by now sure. yeah oh you've got to think I mean other people have been knighted for far less so <laughs> but yeah he doesn't believe in it good on you Brian good for you Brian we're behind you on this Wally <laughs> that bit of a political turn there toward the end of the Bob Servant episode but sorry about that <laughs> shall we put shall we put Bob through the awards? Uh, yes, let's do it. Uh, what have you got first on the Swally Awards this week? Alright, so in no particular order. So sort of archetypal Scottish moments. Uh, so okay. I, what uh, did you have there? What did you go for? Oh no, what did you go for? You were about to launch into it and I interrupted you. 
Well, so, I was I was going to say there's something about the way he gets the audience on side in the debate that for some reason it's not so I'm not trying to say that Scottish people are easily influenced because I don't believe that they are I think it's the opposite if anything but when they when you do find a wee common cause and it can be anything from all the way up to Scottish independence right down to nobody dismisses the crankies <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, the Crankies might not be like massively internationally successful, but they still belong to us. Hey, buddy, it works in the next episode when the old guy goes up in the queue and he says, "Are you? Uh, were you the guy on the radio speaking about the Crankies? Yeah. My votes for you." It yes, works. It does. Pretty just is that that sort of Scottish thing of like, like we know the Crankies are not great, but don't come up here and start putting the Crankies down. You know, just fucking mm. won't stand for it. <laughs> you know, what did you have for yours? Similar to you, but slightly more political, and it was about English politicians coming up to Scotland yeah. and standing for a Scottish constituency. And as he says when he wins the by-election, and of course I won't be residing in Bronte Ferry, I'll yeah. be sort of commanding here from Westminster, mm-hmm. but I'll be keeping a good eye. And that was something that, yeah. although not an archetypal Scottish moment, it, it kind of stuck in my craw and I was like, you know what, that's right. That is yeah, something yeah. that is a, a big thing. Uh, second on the list was the big statue of Desperate. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which which is a real thing. You can see it in Dundee. Yeah, so yeah, I, think, yeah. I, think I think there's some other characters from the Dandy and the Beano yeah. immortalised in yeah. Pewter in the, the centre of Dundee. Okay, uh, next award then is the Ewan McGregor Award for Gratuitous Nudity. So what did you have for um, that? I had objections, bare arse. That was yeah. all I had. That's, that's, all, I that's had all there is, well. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So the Francis Begbie Award for swearing, what did you have for that one? Um, I've got two, okay. and I can't decide between the two, because one is visual and one is just a beautiful delivery of swearing. Yeah. So the first one I have is Bob's hat when he goes to the, the school in the first episode. And <laughs> yeah. it's, it's Frank's hat from Magaluf, and it's the big <laughs> middle finger. But my second favourite, actually it's probably my favourite, is in the first episode also when he's delivering a speech to Frank about how he was a member of Very Good Video and (laughs) everyone else was a member of Blockbuster and he used to get slagged off. Frank, you remember when I was a member of Very Good Video? Like it was yesterday. I know the rest of you were members of Blockbusters, the big boys. They used to slag me off something rotten because I'd defend a Very Good Video. I mean, I'd defend them like a... Like a... A lion. A lion. Like a lion. One day, I cancelled my membership to Very Good Video and joined Blockbusters, and bang! I could see straight away that Very Good Video were absolute shite. Oh, terrible. Yeah. I have to say, I was impressed that they managed to get an F-bomb in probably every episode yeah. of this series. So, yeah. I think they were maybe allowed one, and they got it in every episode, so I was quite impressed. But, uh, what did you go for? No, I had the very, I had the very good uh, video slash blockbuster video <laughs> comparison as well. Uh, just because, you know, I just loved the whole, the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I mean, as BBC Four, I, I would like to think that they could probably have had a bit more swearing in there had they wanted, but doesn't really need it. So, like, when he does 
drop a wee f-bomb here or there it, it has all the more gravitas you know yeah i mean i think you have the i do like the before he goes into the school and um he does say i wanted young voters not the fucking secret seven <laughs> i forgot that one yeah secret seven <laughs> um so for the jake mcquillan's t-zoot award for this one i had i've just written down the burger toss when he when he <laughs> climbs on the burger van roof and whispers hendo it's burger time and then batters him with a bag of frozen burgers. It wasn't Bob, it was Sid. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Sid did that. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair enough. Um, That was... That was my second choice. My first okay. choice was him kicking the fuck out of Hendo's TV and <laughs> trying to snap his remote and then just taking the bat. He's like, the way Norris is flawed, just put the back in. <laughs> It's, it's the delivery of try doing your sums now. Yeah. <laughs> he's waiting wait for a yeah. countdown to come on. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's the it's the fish attack and the TV getting kicked in for me. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. Is that worse than getting a bag of frozen burgers thrown on your head? I mean, it does leave in Hendo in quite a state. Yeah, well, it, until we discover that he's uh, he's making it look worse than it actually is. When Bob when Bob expertly expertly catches him out at the very end. <laughs> That's because he had the correct court outfit with him. <laughs> I love the way that when he puts that hat on and he, and he runs his thumb and his forefinger across the rim every time he puts it on. So right to left. The James Cosmo Award for being in everything Scottish. Quite a Quite a few to choose from here. There are. I've gone for Alex North. Did you? I went for Ron Donaghy. Oh, really? Um, mm. Yeah, that could be right, actually. You could have me on that. Yeah. Um, maybe I was lazy using Norton, but you're right. Donaghy is in quite a lot, too. I mean, I think I think I can understand why. Because I went to Norton first as well, because obviously he's... Mm. I mean, this is no doubt secured his position at the top of the swally tally. Yeah. But um but yeah, no, I thought, you know, born in there, he's 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 uh, two for two. He was in the filth as Hector the Farmer and yeah. a fle- fleeting appearance. Donkey. Yeah. Um Yeah, he's got a fleeting appearance in here as well, but we'll give it to yeah. him, yeah. Why not? Um what was your favourite episode? Oh, good question. Uh I didn't actually think about that. Oh, now I've got to Oh, I don't know. There's so many good ones and there's so many elements of... You know what? I'm going to have to say the first episode. I think that was my favourite. Yeah, I was between the first episode and the episode with the debate at Radio Scotland. But I I quite like the trial episode as well. Um, The debate episode is very good. I do like the media episode because it's got the Annie Lennox and horse (laughs) references and it's got the immortal line number 26 to Fintry, best atmosphere in town. (laughs) I I do like that. Um, I think I'd have to give it to the first episode yeah. if I'm being honest it just sets up the scene so well and it's so funny and yeah I'm, I'm going to go for that but I agree the other choices are very good yeah and then the Sean Connery award who who wins it who, who got to go home and fuck the prom queen Brian Cox yeah it's it it's, yeah, it's, come on yeah there can't be anybody else. I mean, if you're talking about actors, it's Brian Cox. If you're talking about characters, it's Frank, because he gets to go on his parrot swing. Yeah, I mean, that was just, you know, the, I, the, I, the revelation that Frank's got a sex swing in the bedroom just got <laughs> me over. Bob's delivery, though, is she got a parrot? <laughs> <laughs> and he gets to pay, what's it, PC Bad Apple. Yeah. <laughs> he enjoys very much... <laughs> Um, but yeah, it has to be Cox, I think. It's it's his show. And yeah. although I think it is very much a two-hander with Jonathan Watson. Especially Cox towards the end. takes it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially Cox the, takes the, most of the 
Yeah. This, 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 the second series in the last sort of three, the sort of second half of the first series, you know, when Frank starts to come into his own with, with a fake suicide attempt and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, and I like the way that that last episode sort of ends where, you know, Frank and Bob have sort of reconciled despite Bob kidnapping Frank and <laughs> everything else and uh, being, yeah. being uninvited to the wedding and everything and the whole sort of, I believe our best days are, are are still in front of us and all that kind of thing. It was quite a nice way to end it, you know. It, it does leave it no, open if they perfect. if they want to have if they want to have another run at it at some point, you know. Yeah, I think HBO will have quite a few things to say about that. To be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that was good fun. Good, that was good. I enjoyed talking about Bob Servant almost as almost as much as I enjoyed watching it. If you'd like to hear a bonus episode of us just quoting Bob Servant <laughs> quotes to each other, then let us know on social media, and we'll be more than happy to do that. Because I've got a fucking massive list of quotes I'd quite happily call out. I've hardly said any of them. You know, like, your eyes are like grapes. <laughs> Did you know all the hymns? <laughs> He's, you know, for the benefit, obviously, you can't see this because it's only we're only recording it, we're not filming it. But Nicky has actually made a board that he stuck bits of paper to. It. He's written his favourite Bob Seven quotes on that he keeps holding I up. Every one day. of my favourites that I'm just going to slip in is when Bob's calling up all the skirt and uh, he phones up Daphne and she's just had uh, a hip replacement. Right. Frank says. You can. It's a sympathy. People will think you've kicked her. And if if you get the opportunity, then I think you might. I think you might be able to find Bob Servant on the iPlayer. Um, so. uh, I'm not sure. I think it might be on iPlayer. It's definitely available on Amazon. I think. Okay. Um, and it might be on iTunes as well. I think. Okay. I'm not well, sure. I didn't check. It'll be available somewhere. Or if not, get yourself down to Very Good Video and see if they've got a, a copy that you can rent. Don't go to Very Good Video. I hear they are absolute shit. <laughs> right, so Bob Servant was my pick. What's your pick for the next episode then, Nicky? Um, I'd like to have a look at a film that I've never actually seen, and I think we've mentioned it a couple of times on The Swally before, and okay. there's a, quite a few actors in it that have been in The Swally before, but I, I've never seen this film, and I don't know why. It just kind of has escaped me. So this is going to be the second Ken Loach film okay. that we do on The Swally, so I'd like to take a look at the 2012 film The Angel's Share. Oh, brilliant. I've seen it. I've seen it once. It'd be good to revisit it. Yeah, never seen it. I don't know why it's escaped me, but for some reason. And that is available at the moment on BBC iPlayer. Well, there you go. You guys can go ahead and watch it in preparation for the next episode so you know what we're talking about. Ah, oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And hey, if you follow us on iTunes or any of the platforms, please give us a review, rate, subscribe. The ratings really help us. And if you can just give us a little five-star rating, that'd be so much, you know, that'd be a lot of help. And if you would like to get in touch with us, you can follow us on Instagram at Culture Swally Pod, or why don't you email us with anything you would like us to cover on the podcast or any news stories that you've seen in Scotland that you think would be quite amusing for us to cover? And you can email us on cultureswally at gmail.com. Or if you're of the Twitter variety, then you can follow us on at 
SwallyPod. And Greg, we have a website now. <laughs> Where can they find the website? <laughs> the website is at cultureswallyblog.com and you can see links to all the episodes we've done, uh, including this one, plus links to some of our favourite news stories over the last 28 episodes are we on now? 27, 28 episodes? Um, I think this will be uh, 28, yeah. Yep. If you can't be arsed to type in our email address to send us an email, then you can just fill out a wee box on a page of our website and it will come straight to the email address um so uh, so yes come and have a look at some point we'll get one of us will get around to writing an actual blog post maybe this week (laughs) we're busy people we do this in our spare time (laughs) and sorry any dundee united fans the game ended 2-0 ha 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 very happy um okay um well until next time greg um i think it'd be quite fitting to let this episode end with bob's braveheart speech do you think i think it would be brilliant to let the audience hear bob's braveheart speech okay till next time greg till next time and what about scotland You're all standing there with your policies, your notes and your lovely hair and then there's a question that keeps going round and round my head like a trapped parrot. What's Scotland getting out of this? My party has always supported self-government. I'm not talking about policies, pal. I'm talking about the people. Us. The oppressed. Always have been and always will be. We're like the Red Indians. How exactly are you oppressed? Okay, okay. Answer me this. How come Scylla Black got that blind date job and not Lulu? Did Lulu apply? She shouldn't have to apply. And why were the Crankies not invited to play at Band-Aid? Ah, but can the Crankies sing? Can they sing? And why? Why, when you divided up Britain, did you give us the top bit? Exactly! That clearly wasn't our decision. Oh, I bet you had a right laugh at that one, didn't you, eh? Sitting down there, drinking your pina coladas, while we're up here freezing our balls off. Well, I'll tell you, pal, I'll tell you what England's like. England is like a big brother who borrows your snazziest shoes, goes ten-pin bowling, forgets to change his shoes back, comes home with the ten-pin bowling shoes, and says, Oh, well, it looks as if you better become a 10-pin bowling fan, whether you like it or not. Well, here's the headlines, Mr. Edwards. We don't want to be 10-pin bowlers, do we? No! Ladies and gentlemen of Brody Ferry, let's send England a message they'll never forget. Let's tell them that they can forget their cricket, their fietas and their Roger Moore. We'll have the football, the cheeseburgers and Sean Connery coming out from under the water and his tiny little bikini. So, Mr. Edward, you go back down there and you tell the Prime Minister that we've had enough. Tell him that the people of Brody Ferry will not be pushed around anymore. That when the people of Brody Ferry want to go to the toilet, they will go to the toilet anytime they want. Yeah. And tell him, tell him, tell him to give us back the folklore!